It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 102 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always, James Cratch, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were down in Arlington, down in the Dallas area, and of course at Jerry's World on Sunday night where the Giants go down there and really get embarrassed by the Cowboys in week one. We will talk about it. We will break down what happened, if they can fix it. And where the Giants are right now, so much expectation coming into the game, to the season. Odell didn't play, but there was much more uh, to be concerned about than just Odell Beckham Jr. not being ready on Sunday Night Football. Remember, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud to subscribe. Five-star reviews helps the show grow. But let's get right into it, James. That was a... Uh, that was a debacle for the Giants. They were bad in every phase. The offensive line was everyone's worst nightmare. Uh, Eli Manning couldn't get on the same page with basically any wide receiver. Um, the defense played well, and we'll get to a couple positives later on, including B.J. Goodson. But overall, um, that was a dismal performance from a team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how this happened, Joe, Dan. I mean, continuity, offseason training, everyone's back together. The band, I mean, like, this was so predictable in hindsight. And you really got to wonder, like, were the Giants just, like, just, just talking and just, like, hoping that this was going to work? Because I think we saw this coming. I think most fans saw this coming. You know, this offensive line didn't look very good in the preseason. You, you saw, like, little glimmers of hope, but then you would see the same stuff over and over again from the, you know, the, the, the everyone knows, you know, where the, the issue points are on this line by now. And I just feel like Sunday night confirmed what everyone kind of expected. And I just think, unfortunately for the Giants, maybe they were kind of hoping for a, a slow realization that they didn't fix this problem. Uh, they got it right off the bat. And uh, it's a full-blown crisis now. I mean, there's a panic around this team. I mean, externally, definitely. Internally, they're putting on a, a strong face. But, yeah, I just think that Sunday night was a wake-up call for the Giants. That Their offensive line is still a mess. Their offense is still a mess. And uh, let's put the Super Bowl talk aside for now because this team needs to worry about winning a game first. Yeah, no, it's fair. And the numbers, uh, Dan, that have rolled in you know, during the game, after the game. And last seven games, we dated back to last year. They haven't touched 20 points once. They haven't gone over 20 points once. And they've been outscored now the last seven times they've taken the field uh, compared to the last seven times the Cleveland Browns offense has taken the field. I mean, I think I heard it because I was listening to the post game with you guys there with Ben afterwards. And he was asked about the offense. He was asked a lot of tough questions, as you would expect. But I think the larger question, and we'll delve into the offensive line, is, is this offense really good? I mean, they had they weren't good last year. Odell saves them at time. No Odell, and they look bad. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you have to. You can't just overlook the Odell factor. I mean, listen, if he's there, it didn't win the game then. I probably, and he doesn't take them from what they were to a good offense, but he does make a difference. I mean, it's kind of unfair or or just amazing what the expectations are for him. But uh, all those little four yard dinking dumps, he pretty much breaks one of those a game or something like that. So I mean, he does make a difference. But yeah, there's huge flaws, uh, you know, just foundational flaws that. Uh, he can't mask. Uh, and, you know, we saw it again. It's it's not one game. It's going back to the 17 games last year. It's the same stuff we talked about all last season and all offseason. And again, anyone who is surprised by what the offensive line put out there on Sunday night was fooling themselves all offseason. Now, the problem is Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo seem to be in that group, though, that were surprised or that fooled themselves all offseason. Uh, again, I mean, we we talked about it so much this offseason that I almost backed off towards the end of the offseason because I got tiresome. I felt like people were probably tired of hearing it. But the idea that Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart were going to be significantly better players because they worked really hard in the offseason was so foolish. These aren't high school kids that are going to just make dramatic jumps because they discovered, like, lifting weights. I mean, these are professional athletes that have been in the league for a few years. They are what they are. Can they make minor strides? Maybe. Obviously, we didn't see that. The thing that's scariest for me is the Cowboys, unless, you know, they're going to come from off the map, they don't even have a very good defense, and they did this to them. I mean, you look at what's coming on this schedule, and it's really scary because you Ben Mackin half-jokingly said he didn't know who was playing cornerback for the Cowboys. You can't, you can't name probably three guys in that defense. I'll give you Sean Lee, and beyond that, you're probably scrambling already. Uh, so to have that much of a struggle against that defense, Odell or no Odell, uh, it's super troubling. And again, it just goes back to a lot of the same problems they had last year where it just doesn't seem like they have a plan. I mean, the the, the four-yard passes all game, at some point you have to take some shots downfield. What happened to Evan Engram being this big threat uh, down the seam? You only run the ball 10 times. Orleans Dockport breaks a long run and then doesn't touch the ball again for a quarter. Just so many things seem wrong. And and it, it's, it might be a simple fix to change the play calling. But it, it seems like it's, it's worth a shot at this point because it just seems like McAdoo, whatever touch he had an offensive coordinator, he has totally lost as a head coach, and they have better players, which is the hardest thing to wrap your mind around, whether or not um, you know the offensive line wasn't great back when he was you know the offensive coordinator, and they still overcame that somehow. Uh, it, it's really baffling, and, and maybe it's just he's overwhelmed by all the responsibilities and, and can't handle the play calling. I don't know. They, they have to be doing some serious soul-searching this week. I'm glad that Dan said high school because with Darko real quick, that's what it sort of reminds me of. Like when, when I would cover high school football, you would see these teams sometimes, and it was almost like the coach would just predetermine that this kid was going to be his running back. And, yeah, he'd have this backup running back who would get in there and he'd bust off a 12-yard run and be like, hey, that's great, son. Uh, we'll see you next week. I mean – Darkwa, this I mean, this kind of side thing. They got to get him involved more. Like every time the guy is healthy and gets a chance to run the football, he impresses. And then we come back to this podcast or we write at NJ.com and say, "Hey, Darkwa had a really good game. They should get him involved in the offense more." And then they never do it. So that's what? one thing that has to happen. You, Start you to use Owens Darkwa. I mean, how many times does the guy have to play well before he actually gets to play? I mean, you want to talk about predictability? I, I'm just doing a kind of a deeper dive on the game. Shane Vereen played 31 snaps. They did not run the ball on any of those snaps. Now, I understand he's your third down back, and some of those were two-minute drives where you're obviously not going to be pounding the ball or anything. You're going to be throwing it a lot. But that's amazing. I mean, it, it pretty much, if Shane Marine comes on the field, you know a pass is coming. I mean, how, it's just it's so easy to defend this team. There's there's no misdirection. There's, there's no deception. It's basically, 
for some reason they believe like, apparently they have good enough players that they can just line up you can know what's coming and they'll beat you and they clearly don't because every play is getting blown up in the backfield it seems like so uh, I just did that and again I, that jumped out to me as amazing and then I mean they only ran the ball 10 times so it's not as if there was a ton of uh you know cracks at the plate as Mackie likes to say but then even going further on that Red Ellison uh was supposed to be this big savior uh, don't worry about they didn't spend money on offensive line because they have Red Ellison. Well, he played 19 snaps and and didn't look great when he was out there. And and the idea that he was going to be able to save Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers uh, in passing situations never materialized. Uh, so, I mean, there's just so many questions. I know it's only week one and I know Odell didn't play, but, man, it, it's, it's like I said, it's got to be a lot of soul searching over there because they had all offseason to try and fix this offense. And, and it looked like it took 10 steps back uh, against a, a not very good defense. So that's, that's yeah, troubling. It's incredible because, you know, I think if I had said to you guys last week, you know, the Giants would hold Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, and the Cowboys offense in Dallas to under 20 points, I think we all would have said they got a pretty good chance to walk out of there again, beating the Cowboys and getting off to a good start. And they wasted a good effort, James, by their defense, which you expect now. This defense is really good. They were second in the league in points allowed last year. They're a legitimate defense. But at the end of the first quarter, it was 26 to 6 in terms of plays. The Cowboys ran 47 plays in the first half to go up 16 to nothing. I don't care how good the Giants defense is. If their offense is this inept, that defense is going to break at some point and they, they can't win like that. Yeah, I was thinking about this on, on the flight home. You know, we we gave we celebrated the Giants so much last year for beating the Cowboys twice, but the way we probably should look at it this is that the Giants defense had held the basically won the two games against the Cowboys last year. The offense is kind of you know, was able to not get in the way at the end. And Odell made a big play, you know, in the Sunday night game. No, you're right. I mean, look, the Giants knew this. That's, this is why I think the issue for the Giants is they knew everything that was going to happen on Sunday night. They said before the game, offensive lineman I, you know, I spoke with, the Cowboys, they like to move on the defensive line. They're going to roll out stunts. Third play of the game, they roll out a slow developing stunt. And it was like they had never seen one before in their lives. And Eli gets sacked. They said... We, the Cowboys want to control the clock, run the ball. We got it. We have to do that too. keep our defense off the field. As you said, Joe, the Cowboys run all these plays in the first half. I mean, the biggest failing, you know, Ben's complimentary football. When the Cowboys score the touchdown and go up 13, nothing. And the Giants have a three and out that lasts 14 seconds right before the end of the first half. Dallas gets the ball back and tacks on a field goal. I mean, that was horrific. Because if the Giants, even if the Giants don't score there, if they hold on to the ball, they get into halftime 13-0. To their credit, they get the ball to start the second half. They put together a good drive. It completely fizzles out in the red zone because that's what the Giants do. I mean, their offense last year struggled in the red zone and was probably going to struggle this year in the red zone. And I thought McAdoo had some really curious play calling there. But that, that being said, it could have been 13-7, completely different ball game. The Giants basically shut the Cowboys out in the second half. This was a very winnable football game if the offense just did something. But to give up that 14-second drive, let the Cowboys tack on another score, and then fail to get a touchdown on your own when you were inside the five, it's just inexcusable. And you just wonder, like, yes, they won 11 games last year, but, you know, stop talking about last year. Stop talking about 2007. Stop talking about 2011. This is 2017, and I don't see how this team is going to contend if this offensive line this offense continues to play the way it has for 18 games now. Yeah, no, it, it's not a blip. This is what they are, and they have to change what they are to change our minds. I mean, they're not a good offense right now, and they haven't been for a long time. And, Dan, to go back to the offensive line that 
that James was just talking about, and you mentioned it going into the season with this, I mean, Flowers and Hart, it, it was the same story. And we're watching it play out. And Flowers is the whipping boy because he was the first-round pick. He was a top-10 pick. The Giants believed in him. But Hart was a real issue early in that game on Sunday. And, I mean, Demarcus Lawrence just I mean, embarrassed him. I mean, Bobby Hart didn't look like he belonged in the field for a lot of those plays against a decent, probably underrated, but not a very good Cowboys defense. Yeah, I mean, and Bobby Hart kind of put the target on his back. I, mean, I talked to him late last week, and he said, you know, he's the best right tackle in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> I had to pick my jaw up off the floor and ask him. And I really, usually you just run with a quote like that, but it was so outlandish that I went back. I was like, wait, you like, did you really just, you mean to say that? Like the way you said it? And, and Bobby, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I'm not trying to do you a favor so much, but I want to make sure I wasn't going to get accused of misquoting him. But he, you know, he really firmly said it. And then, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, he was probably the worst right tackle on the, on the field in week one. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine anyone played worse than he did. Uh, it was brutal. Uh, yeah, and again, it's just it's just the problem is that it's just not surprising. Um, and then it wasn't just the offensive line, though. And Mac, who loves to say that, he he never say it's, he never put any blame on the offensive line. Um, but I I do think there was other problems. I mean, Brandon Marshall didn't seem to get any separation and wasn't on the same page with Eli. Uh, you know, even when Eli did look to him, which wasn't very often. And I waded into this. I was I was sort of an Eli apologist last year and. Uh, I waded in some Eli criticism and found out that that is a lightning rod with the fan base, but I, he didn't play well. I don't know how anyone can see what he did on Sunday night uh, and come away with any other conclusion. Now, it might be a chicken and egg issue. Uh, does he not play well because he's constantly fearing for his life back there, which would be understandable, uh, but it is part of life in the NFL. You're not always going to have a clean pocket. And again, I don't know if it's he's hearing the footsteps even on plays uh, when he does have time. But he just he just didn't play well. I mean, the interception was an absolute killer, and he had time on that play. That's inexcusable. Uh, you know, they have a last gasp chance there. Not that they were in, in great shape, but, you know, they're driving a little bit when he has finally got Ingram for a big play. But uh, it just – the whole offense was so dysfunctional. But I, I think Eli uh, – you can't get a total pass. Yes, he has a bad offensive line. Uh, yes, the game plan wasn't great. Uh, but it just felt like – you know, he just missed throws. Um, even when he completed them, there was a play early in the game when Shepard ran a little – uh, crossing route, I think it was third and four, and he's like two yards deep. Uh, but if the ball's in his chest, he probably beats Sean Lee and picks up the first down. Instead, Eli throws it high, and Shepard has to basically make a, a leaping catch that brings him to the ground uh, short of the first down. So it's little things like that. There was obviously the play to Marshall uh, in the flat on the crossing route, which I, I actually think that was you know a 50-50 play where I think Marshall probably should have been turning up field at that point. He, he kept drifting to the sideline, and Eli had already escaped uh, you know, uh, you know know a hectic pocket to, to even get that throw out there. But yeah, it's just there's just so many things to point to in the offense, but it definitely starts you know up front. Yeah, I think Eli deserves criticism too, James. He didn't play well, and um, it, you know I'm not shocked by this. And look, he's not the player he was, and I think it's tough to measure with a quarterback sometimes when you w- look at them like what declined. It's not like watching baseball where a pitcher's velocity goes down; you could just see it and know it. But he's I mean he's not the player he was in 2011 when he had his best season. We we could see that. Um, Physically, I don't know how much different he is, but he's not quite the same. But I think it's, it was on the Giants the past few years to put a team around him that can maybe help him age here. And I don't know if they've done that. I mean, Eli deserves criticism for missing throws, but the, the group they put around him, a bad offensive line, and it's like he can't use the playmakers right because he can't get it out to them. I, I just – the philosophy I'm going back to here of, of how they built this team around an older quarterback, I, I just – I don't know if they did it correctly. Yeah, I wrote about this uh, Tuesday morning at NJ.com. And look, I think that in hindsight, and we've discussed this even before now, uh, Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo have not – the Giants have not executed 
their offensive line strategy well the past two off seasons. And I think that it's not a straight line of just bad decisions. I, I think it is complex. And as I wrote, you know, I understand why they didn't want to give up on flowers after his rookie year at left tackle. You had invested a, a top 10 pick in him. You thought he was going to be better. I understand why this past off season, they didn't want to spend big bucks for guys like, you know, you know, Khalil, you know, Riley, I mean, guys who they're C-level players, you know, and you don't want to move, you know, a guy like Ricky Wagner to left tackle. I get that. I understand it wasn't a great draft class. I understand that they got out Fox if they were going to try to get Conklin. But the bottom line is that the Giants, and this goes back to fans who ask, you know, are they going to trade for Joe Thomas or Joe Staley? No one no. Are they going to bring in a guy? There's no one out there. And moreover, when, when there were you know, veteran tackles that you could have brought in that could have maybe pushed the two young tackles and maybe taken, you know, beat one of them out. You know, the Giants basically showed no interest in doing that. They just decided we're going with Flowers and Hart and they're going to be better and it's going to be great. And, and they just went in on that plan. And I just don't think even now, I don't think the Giants, the front office, I don't see them adding any one but one. I don't think there's really anyone to add that's going to make a major difference. And two, they've gone all in on these uh, on this offensive line situation. That was their decision. I think there's some reasons to justify it. There's some reasons to criticize it. I think on the whole, you have to criticize it. But this is what they did. And I go back to Ben. He's a guy who should be getting a lot of blame, too. And I think he's starting to. This is a pivotal week coming up when they're playing the Lions of Monday Night Football, I think, for McAdoo. His team's 0-1. They can't fall to 0-2 because – if they're 0 2 going into Philly, I mean, their season might be done. 10th anniversary of the Super Bowl team, all the good vibes, whether it's fair or not, people are going to compare this year's team to that year's team. And I think the play calling is the most fascinating thing. This is, you know, 18 games now. I don't think Ben McAdoo is ever going to give up the play calling duties on his own. I think maybe he should consider it, but I just don't think, I think he would have done it already, you know, given the struggles they've had. So my question for this week is if the giants are bad again on offense on Monday night and they lose on national television on a night where they're celebrating their, their, their storied history and everything, does John Mara have to go to bed and say enough is enough. You need to give up the play calling. I am as your boss. am telling you, you need to let Sullivan call the plays. Well, you would think there certainly would have to be a consideration in that building. I mean, so, someone has to be thinking of some way to change this up, Dan. I mean, there's seven games in a row now, 20 points or less. We, we had the whole thing last year. We kind of had that running joke, would they score over 30? I mean, forget that for now. Can they score over 20 points? Um, is this what they are? Are, are we so – a part of me is wondering as I watch that game Sunday if we're approaching this, all of us, fans, you guys, me, just everyone that talks about this team every day. Are we approaching this the wrong way? Should we stop expecting something out of this team, especially in offensively, I mean? Maybe they're just not that good. Have we expected too much maybe based on the big names, the personnel, what they were a few years ago? Maybe, certainly possible, but I, I still, you have to, you know, come back to the fact that Odell wasn't out there. I mean, that he is yeah. clearly the guy who makes everything go. I mean, the problem is obviously they put too much on his shoulders because when he wasn't out there, they, you know, they couldn't do anything. But I mean, I think we can all admit that the offense never looked that bad uh, last year. They didn't have any three-point games last year. And again, uh, it's not that the offense is necessarily better when Odell's out there. It's just he's so talented that again, he he makes a you know a seven-yard slant, and takes it to the house, or you know that type of thing. So I, I'm I'm as much as everyone is burying McAdoo this week, and it's funny because I was the one who buried them all last year. 
I'm gonna I'm willing to give him at least one game with uh, presumably Odell should be healthy. I mean, he went through uh, you know a pretty full workout before the game. I think they made the complete right decision to not play him. Uh, it just wasn't worth risking uh, a nagging ankle injury that would cost you know three, four, five games. Make sure he's 100% healthy. He's got eight days now to get ready for Monday night, and you need him to be 100% healthy. So, uh, assuming he's back in there, I'm willing to give McAdoo a, a game with his full arsenal that they've spent all offseason preparing for. Now, the offensive line very well, very well may totally derail all the plans they've had. But let's see what happens when Odell's out there and defense have to account for him. When even if he's not making plays, presumably he will open things up for Marshall and Engram and maybe even the running game. I mean, again, that may be putting too much of an emphasis on what Odell brings to the table, but it's also tough to you know understate how how impactful he is. So um, I think that's the one caveat that you, you can't overlook. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a lot of red flags and, and alarms are sounding, but uh, I am willing to give them one game you know with the full complement of weapons uh, just before totally pulling the plug and, and thinking they have no chance. James, before we get to maybe some of the positives and look forward to this, which, which is going to be a big game, Monday Night Football against the Lions and a quarterback in Matt Stafford that paid a lot of money, but he's he's really good late in games. I don't think it's going to be an easy game for the Giants. Um, ben as a whole, after that game, I heard I heard some of your questions, James. I heard you know everyone that was there was listening to it live. Uh, it's, I, I find Ben interesting after games with the way he reacts when things are tough. I mean, he's he's pretty – he puts on a strong front, but – I don't often hear him criticize himself, um, the team, us. He's not putting on individuals. What, what's your take on how he handles a, a, a night like Sunday and the questions when they're fired at him? I, once in a while, I'd like to hear him say, you know, I've got to do something better here. It's on me. And he, I don't hear that. Yeah, I mean, he, he has done that in the past. I think that, you know, one of the things Ben likes to say is that, yeah, he's consistent and he treats everyone differently. And I think it's very obvious uh, when it comes to players that and we've discussed this before. There are certain players that he will criticize, and, and there are certain players he won't. You never hear any Eric Flowers criticism, Bobby Hart. I think on I think for the most part the Giants as a whole. And look, Eli definitely deserves blame for the game. He didn't play well last year. He didn't play well Sunday. But I also feel like sometimes he's a cop out. It's like blaming Eli is like punching a pillow. Like Eli's not going to react. Eli's. You know, this, I mean, Eli probably doesn't even know that you criticized him in the postgame press conference. So I feel like sometimes it's just when in doubt, we can just blame Eli because it's really I mean, there's no repercussions really for blaming Eli or criticizing Eli. You're right. I, I think a lot of fans are, are waiting for Ben to point the finger at himself, which gets back to the play calling decision. I, I don't think he's going to give it up unless he's forced to give it up. And I think the big question is, does, you know, the front office, does the, the ownership intervene at some point because here Eli's 36 years old we can put aside the fact that you know whether he's you know declining you know whatever they have a window here they wasted one year of the window last year I would say half wasted it because you didn't even know that a playoff berth wasn't guaranteed uh last year that you didn't know what they really had if they don't win win big this year then you maybe have one year left because I think that fans need to realize that when you look at the, the contracts that are coming up, the guys you're going to have become free agents, you know, Odell, Landon Collins, you're going to have to sign a long-term deals. After 2018, 
there's probably going to be a reset at some point. I don't think the big three defensive free agents you signed in 2016, I would be surprised if they're all here still in 2019. They're going to have to be tough decisions made. Guys are going to have to walk. Guys are going to have to be released for cap purposes. They don't have much time left to pull this all together. And if you're going to waste this year, I don't think anyone has really ever had tremendous success going into one year saying, we have to win the Super Bowl now or else this is going to be a failure. That's not really a good situation to put yourself in to have success. Joe, I want to just go back to your you know, original point there because I'm, I'm someone who's kind of hammered McAdoo on that more. I, I think it's horrible. I think it's such a bad look for him. I mean, Eli, because McAdoo's up to the podium and is so on the defensive. It's not just the offensive line. You know, it never will. He'll never point the finger at the play calling that we didn't have a good plan. I mean, you see most coaches, that's pretty much the first thing, even if they don't believe it. It's usually, you know, we got to do a better job. We weren't prepared. I mean, you you scored three points in the season opener. You've had all offseason to plan for this game. You've had three weeks to know that Odell might not be out there. You scored three points, and you're the offensive play caller. You need to fall on the sword. Again, I don't want to hear about the offense didn't function, uh, the, the execution. Execution drives me crazy when coaches say that. Well, you're the coach. You you have to figure it out. You have to – if these guys can't execute the plan you're putting out there, you have to change the plan because the players aren't going to change mid-game or or from one week to the next. So I, it's it's totally – a turnoff to me because then you have Eli step up to the podium afterwards and take all the blame. Not, not one time did he say, well, you know, Brandon didn't run the right route or, you know, Bobby let the guy come in in point two seconds. Nope. He said, it all starts with me and that's leadership. And that's what you want to see from your head coach at the podium. Cause players are going to see that. And, and I don't think they're going to you know respond too kindly. Now, granted, he didn't throw any individual player to the bus. That'd be a, a much bigger issue, but I, just the deflecting that it's the execution and that, it, that's just a turnoff to me, and I, I feel like just from you know social media and the comments section on NJ.com, he, fans don't really seem to like McAdoo. I mean, he went 11-5 and five last year, so he gets a, a certain pass, obviously, he deserves that. But he's never really connected with the fan base. Now, obviously, from a media standpoint, you know he's not great in press conferences. Fans don't usually care if you're winning, but it seems like he's just kind of never connected with the fans. Uh, you know, He's not Bill Belichick. He doesn't have all the Super Bowl rings to fall back on to kind of act the way he does. Uh, you know, I think sometimes he likes to just prove that he knows more uh, than than us in the room, which you know I would hope so. I mean, that's that's kind of it's kind of a low bar to set, but you know he, he corrects uh, reporters on 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 football questions sometimes. That it's just I think he needs to be a little bit above that. But uh, that that's one of the things that always stuck out to me is that he never says this started with me. I didn't have the team ready. Uh, you know, we have to coach him better. And I, again, I just feel like that's that's something that's gonna get ugly. Uh, if they if they do start to lose, because it never it never became a problem last year because you went 11 and five. Uh, but it definitely seems like something the fans are already kind of picking up on. And I think uh, if it if it starts to get picked up on by the players, uh, that's when you have a really big problem. Yeah, and it should. I mean, because his offense might be fatally flawed. Like, you know, Odell wasn't there and it clouds everything over this. And when o- Odell's there, they're going to be better, of course. But. You know, you take away one player. I know he's not just a guy. He's special. But And they, they look like the worst offense in the NFL, James. I mean, maybe outside the Colts who have a backup quarterback. I mean, there aren't many offenses in the NFL in 2017 that if they have their starting quarterback, will only put up three points in a game. And, and Odell's special, but you could take other receivers away. I mean, the, the Falcons lost Julio Jones for portions of last year. Antonio Brown missed time early in the 2016 season. The Steelers still moved the football um, at a pretty decent pace. I don't think there's a team where you say, all right, I'm going to take away your receiver, but you keep your quarterback that you'd walk in the game and say, they're only going to score three points. I mean, that's James. It's embarrassing. The giants offense, the way they played on Sunday. Not only is it embarrassing, but it's just 
I mean, you look at this Giants team, the, the bill of goods they sold was like, they have too many weapons. Like Sterling <laughs> Shepard might be de-emphasized. He might kind of get lost in the shuffle. Evan Ingram is going to be this massive impact tight, like the best rookie tight ends in Shockey. Brandon Marshall. I mean, like it, that's what I don't understand. Like going into the Dallas game, and I wrote this on Sunday morning before we knew if Odell was a good player or not. My whole point was, if you're a championship caliber team with such an embarrassment of offensive weapons, then it's a no-brainer. You, you don't even have Odell do his little pregame, you know, warm-up thing. You just don't play him because I, I think if you look, look, Marshall, Shepard, and Ingram as your top three options on paper is pretty good, and it might be better than a lot of teams in the league. So the idea that I understand, yes, Odell's a a tremendous player, and of course the offense is going to be better when he's back, but it's not like it's only Odell, and they were basically just had three guys out there. They have good players, high draft picks, and two much-hyped additions in the the offseason that were supposedly going to help get them over the hump. And they still only scored three points. I mean, that's the issue. I, Odell will make a difference, but I, I mean, I also think it's not a great situation to put Odell in as a as a competitor because we know this is a guy who has admitted that he got too hyped up in Green Bay after you know the the boat and everything. Uh, it's a totally different situation, but do you really want to create a situation where like Odell is basically feeling like he's the savior and he has to get back on the field or this whole thing is going to go off the rails? I don't know if that's pressure you really want to put on Odell as he's trying to rehab and get his way back on the field. No, but that's there now. I mean, we all feel it. I'm sure he feels it. I'm sure the Giants feel it. They need Odell to come save the day. All right, let's look at a couple of positives of what you thought maybe defensively or just from anyone that, that stood out to you. And then we'll look at the game Monday night. The Lions are coming in. It's going to be a special night, obviously, for the Giants, celebrating 10 years since the uh, the improbable 2007 championship and Super Bowl victory over the Patriots. Uh, Dan, what stood out on, on a good note? I mean, the defense did play well against, uh, you know, a Cowboys team that had its full complement with Elliott out there. I thought that you know, they, they kind of backed up what they were last year, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the one guy we hyped in the preseason who, who definitely matched, if not exceeded, it was B.J. Goodson. I mean, that was an awesome performance. I mean, uh, it's kind of the game you need a strong middle linebacker for when you're going against that offense with that offensive line with Ezekiel Elliott and 18 tackles, 14 solo. And, I mean, granted, some of them were downfield, but that's just because he was all over the field. But he made some impactful plays, too. I mean, he had the one play where he just completely blew up a screen. Uh, he, he was just always around the ball, and he never came off the field. He came off the field for one snap. So doing that for that many plays, playing in sub packages, didn't get exposed. Um, you know, I'm just watching the game back. He had good coverage on Witten on one play for like a four-yard gain and made the tackle right away. Uh, he was just super impressive. And, again, it's the thing I've been saying all offseason. If he is an impact player, this this defense should go to a whole nother level. And, you know, obviously – now, they didn't hold him to a shutout or anything the other night, but there was definitely promising signs from him. I think the the one kind of uh, problem with the defense was a little bit was third downs. I couldn't get off the field. That'll happen a little bit when you're on the field the whole game anyways, though, because it's three and out and you're back on the field. Um, so I, I give him a little bit of a pass for that. Eli Apple uh, was a concern. That was pretty much the one uh, kind of major red flag on the defense, but he just, he just really didn't look good. And, and we're talking about how, uh, the Cowboys' defense isn't great, so that's more concerning. It's a little bit more concerning because the Cowboys' number two and three receivers, uh, you know, aren't anything that's going to really strike fear into you. And he had his hands full with, you know, Terrence Williams and Butler. I mean, those aren't guys that 
you know, our big name Pro Bowl type receivers. And uh, so that was a little bit of a concern. But overall, I think, you know, you have to feel very good about what the defense did. I mean, uh, they were put in some bad situations, you know, gave the offense a chance in the second half, you know, held the Cowboys to, you know, just a late field goal. But um, once the once the Giants came on and scored to, to start the second half, defense got right off the field. So, uh, you know, they, they did all they could. And like I said, B.J. Goodson definitely uh, kind of spearheaded that effort. And uh, that by far the most promising development, in my opinion. James, how about for you? Outside of Goodson, who was – I mean, he was all over the place. I mean, he – What's the word? Flashed. I mean, we talk about when we, when players on a, on a field. He flashed. I mean, it seemed like every time there was a play, and Elliott would run the ball or just you know pass over the middle. Goodson's name uh, was mentioned. Outside of Goodson, who stood out in a good way, James? Well, before we get to the Giants, I think one thing that kind of stood out to me, and obviously, look, the Giants were horrible. I didn't think Dallas looked like it was going to. I mean, I didn't think they looked like a great team. I, I thought they, they. I think Mike Francesa said it on his show Monday. They they were kind of very matter of fact. I mean, you know, they didn't really blow you away. And I think it's. I still feel exiting that game that you know Dallas is going to have to take a step back this year. So I think that's a, something the Giants can at least say. Yeah, we we lost the Cowboys. And we we got dominated by the Cowboys, but it's not like they got dominated by a team that's so clearly head and shoulders above them if they get their act together. So I, I think that's something the Giants can take away from. I I still think the Cowboys are kind of a nine ten win win team like the Giants are. Uh, I thought you know the run game held up, the run defense held up really well. I mean Damon Harrison was himself. I thought Dalvin Tomlinson looked good. You know he got his first career start. A little bit of a surprise was we thought Jay Bromley was going to get that. Uh, his knee injury probably took him out of that. All the defensive ends were, were active. You know, Olivier Vern had a sack. JPP, you know, continued, continued his strong start that he had in the preseason. So, yeah, I think the, the Giants' defense is good. But it can only be so successful if they're on the field for so long and their offense doesn't do anything to help them. So I think that once Eli Apple kind of gets in a groove, you know, he was a guy who had a strong preseason before he got hurt. Uh, they should be really good, but – Really good might not be good enough if that offense doesn't get going. It might not. And uh, their offense is going to need to do something on Monday night because the Lions are coming in. And, you know, talking about teams that are after a while, you have to kind of take for what they are because the the results are there basically every week. The Lions are Jekyll and Hyde. The Giants played them last year in December when Stafford was uh, a little banged up and the defense, um, you know, did its thing and won that game. But, you know, they went down on Sunday. Stafford threw a pick six early, and then he just rolled. I mean, that guy could put up points, and there's a reason they paid him a lot of money. Uh, you would think, Dan, with the Lions coming in, it's early season, so it's not like a cold-weather, snowy game or anything like that where a dome team would have trouble. The Giants' offense is going to have to step up because I find it hard to believe their defense, as good as it is, is going to totally shut down Matt Stafford, who always seems to put up some points. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think you can't look too much to that December matchup. Like you said, it was a you know, cold day for a dome team, and, and Stafford had an injury on his throwing hand, so he certainly wasn't uh, you know, at, at top efficiency. Um, I mean, this is a game they have to win, though. It's, it's like I know the Lions are a tough team. There's not any easy games on this schedule, really, as we've, we've talked about in the past. You have to win this game. Monday night, home opener, uh, honoring the 2007 Super Bowl team, and coming off that effort. If they lose this game, watch out. It could get real ugly real fast, and you know the panic buttons will be getting smashed all over New Jersey and New York by fans and, and probably inside the building. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not an easy game. It's a game you win if you're a playoff team, just kind of bottom line. It, it probably won't be pretty. Uh, I don't think the offense is suddenly going to come on and score 42 points, and you know I think that the Lions do have enough of an offense that – uh, they won't be able to totally shut them down, but just it's just kind of a bottom line uh, business here where they just they need to find a way to win this game. I mean, guys, let's really quickly look at the schedule. 
if they lose this game to the Lions at the Eagles for their home opener. That's I mean, even the Giants win on Monday night. I don't think they're beating the Eagles in Philly at the Buccaneers. You know, Bucks are one of the hot, trendy teams. Home against the Chargers, we saw what Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram can do last night. At the Broncos, Von Miller. Seahawks come here in, in a much-anticipated battle of maybe the two worst offensive lines for a good team in the NFL. I mean, this, is, this could get out of hand quickly for the Giants if they do not win on Monday night. I think it's a must-win. I, I, it sounds like you guys agree, but if they lose on Monday night, I think you can kind of start writing the, you know, the, the end of the season off. It's funny, you know, when the schedule came out and looking at that week three game, Giants-Eagles first matchup between two teams that I, I think are going to be there in the end for this division, I looked at it and I said, uh-oh, you know, Philadelphia's got the Washington on the road, Kansas City on the road. I thought they could come home 0-2 and, and that the city of Philadelphia be in disarray with the Giants coming in with a whole bunch of weapons and Odell. And the Giants could kind of bury the Eagles and maybe take one team out of the race. And now with the way... Week one went with the, the Lions game. It could it could be framed the other way. I mean, the Eagles could be out for blood in week three. Yeah, week, you know, whatever. Must win, important win. I find it hard to believe the Giants can recover and make the playoffs this year in this division against this schedule, like you said, James, if they don't beat the Lions uh, on Monday night, especially with the, the emotion of what's going to be that ceremony with that 07 team. I mean, if they can't win on Monday night at home, Dan, they're in trouble. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's what we looked at when we kind of broke down the schedule. I think it was last week. Uh, that 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 first seven games before they get to the bye week is, is a really tough slate. And, you know, I had them beating the Cowboys and still only being four and three. So now uh, you're in a little bit of a hole right out of the gate. And one thing I will say, um, you know, I probably underestimated the Cowboys. I thought they'd fall back to earth. I mean, clearly um, the Ezekiel Elliott thing is going to be a big factor. If he misses six games, uh, they might not be as formidable. But again, that, that offensive line is, is still pretty good. And, you know, Alfred Marston and McFadden probably could uh, kind of keep things rolling. And, and Prescott impressed me. Uh, even though he missed a few throws, um, you know, doesn't turn the ball over. That's going to keep you in a lot of games. And the defense, unless it was just the cob- unless the Giants offense is just that bad, defense looked a little better than expected. So uh, this is, this is going to be a tough division, as we all expected. Um, again, yeah, just with that Philly game looming in week three, and you always have so much trouble down there. I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's week two, and it just really feels like a must-win. Uh, again, with just all the circumstances leading into it, if you can't get up and come out and win that game, uh, it's just hard, to, hard to, for me to buy that you're suddenly going to turn around. I mean, this is everything is kind of pointing to this one game. So uh, the, the stakes are pretty high for week two. Yeah, it's funny, and then we're going to find out. I mean, the Giants under Tom Coughlin a lot of times when their backs were against the wall, they, they found a way to, to, to get out of it. And, and this – Probably is Ben's first crisis or close to crisis. I mean, no, last year they were middling until the middle of the season they took off. But this feels a little different because the expectations and um, and a lot surrounding this. It should be a fun week. I'm sure you guys have a lot to write about. We'll be back next week, uh, and you guys will be at MetLife on Monday night, the Giants and the Lions. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Talk is Cheap, a fun one after a difficult loss for the Giants. Uh, We'll be back next week after the Lions game with some of your feedback and our takes on the game. Remember, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are there. Leave us a five-star rating. It helps the show grow. Thanks for listening to Talk is Cheap.